thank you, Sarah. I'll pay you later. <laughs> I'm so glad it wasn't Rhiannon. Because <laughs> she would have wanted to get her own back, wouldn't she? Yes. <laughs> I hope you realise that all this banter means that we love each other very much. And we're a, a great team. Well, they're a great team. And I just stand there going, well, you haven't done this and you haven't done that. <laughs> but um, this is the very last thing that you are going to have to put up with today. And I really feel that what I'd prepared has already been said. But um, I, I feel it's good to endorse it anyway. I'm going to start with something that's really not very nice at all. But it's something that I heard recently. And it's actually that... People who go to church every Sunday are actually getting very fat. And the reason that they're getting very fat is that they keep being fed, but they don't exercise it by going out and sharing it with other people. Now, there are many churches like that, and I'm, I really imagine that because you're here today, you're not like that at all, are you? Because your whole idea is to be get, able to go out. But we all know people who go to church, and they sit there, and they listen, very nice Herman today, and off they go, and that's the end of it. They're fat with the word of God, but they're not sharing it. They're not spreading it, so they're getting more and more obese. But God doesn't want us to be that way. He wants us to get out there and be looking outwards, as we've already heard many times today. Get out there and do something, whatever it is that God is calling you to do. In Isaiah chapter 40, it says, He gives power to those who are tired and worn out. He offers strength to the weak. Even youths will become exhausted and young men will give up. But those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. They will fly high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And maybe today is the day when you've been able to come, draw aside, rest. Just know that God has a place for each one of you, wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Because we've already heard that, haven't we? But the Bible teaches that spiritual strength involves the power to lift burdens, a foundation deep enough to resist external pressure and the security of unlimited resources. And we do have unlimited um, opportunities because we all have different gifts. I look around at you and you're all different ages, different places you've come from, different situations that you're in. Not one of you will have a gift like the person sitting next to you. And one of the things that I've noticed over the years, especially as I've spoken to women, is that we look at other people and we see their strengths. We look back at ourselves and we see our weaknesses. But we don't realize that those people are probably looking at us about our strengths and looking back at themselves, their weaknesses, because we're all different. We have different ways of living. We're created differently. We're in different uh, situations in life, different seasons, as I've said before, and we have to recognize those seasons and be comfortable in our own bodies. You know, it's, again, it's easy, isn't it, to look at other people. They're so glamorous. They wear beautiful clothes. They're this or that. Oh, and look at me. Nobody would want to see me. I heard somebody say the other day that they, they weren't wearing makeup anymore, like, like me, and... Um, 
They said that this woman who'd known her for years said, I don't really like looking at you these days. And she said, she was absolutely horrified. And I said to her, well, you should have said, well, don't look at me. <laughs> End of story. <laughs> if you don't like looking at me because I can't wear makeup anymore, don't look at me. I don't care. Okay? But accept yourself as you are in the season that you're in. I cannot do the things that I did 10, 15, 20, 40 years ago. But it's so important to do what we can. There's a lovely illustration by a man called Ixat Perlman. I don't know if any of you have heard of him, but he's a solo violinist. And he was performing at a big concert hall. He, was, um, he had polio when he was a child, so he has to sit down to perform. He started the, the concerto, and the, the very first note, one of his strings broke. He didn't stop, he just maneuvered round that broken string all the way through the concerto and didn't put one note wrong. And at the end, he did such an amazing job that he got a standing ovation. And as he went to the front and thanked everybody. And he said, you see, ladies and gentlemen, this gives a wonderful illustration of how we have to make the most of whatever we have left. Isn't that lovely? I feel that. I've, I haven't got what I had 20 years ago. But I have to make the most of what I've got left and not waste the moment. A life transformed by the gospel of Christ is evidence of God's power. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? God's power. And we stand strong in that power to share his life, his love, and his salvation with those around us. And let's face it, the Bible says we're called to go into all the world. One of my favorite Bible verses is from John 17, where Jesus prays for his disciples. And then he says, I'm not praying just for these disciples, but for all who will ever believe in me because of their testimony. He's, Jesus was praying for you, and he was praying for me. And why? Because those disciples were faithful. They passed the news, the good news on from generation to generation right down to 2018. And that's why we're here today, isn't it? We have to carry on so that young people are able to understand the gospel. And I'm thrilled uh, through the young people who are running Activate that we now have Miss Activate for 14 plus young people. And, and it's absolutely wonderful, isn't it? It's growing and it's becoming really exciting. And we believe today because the disciples took the trouble and went through persecution and horror in order to be able to share their faith. And that's con gone right through the generations. So how do we go about it? In today's society, we wouldn't get very far by having a loud hailer and shouting, if you don't go to heaven, you'll go to hell. If you don't find Jesus, you, you know, you'd be called a real nutter, wouldn't you? Um, so we have to find our opportunities. And as we've said, we find the places where we have the most influence. And that might be at the school gate, as, uh, as Rhiannon has said. It might be through the red light. And it, there are all sorts of different ways in which we have the opportunity to share the gospel. And um, one of the things that I think is so lovely, uh, uh, one thought is that we are the Bible that other people are reading. We. 
just by the way we care for somebody, just hold a door open for somebody, we care for them, we phone them up if things are wrong. Just little tiny things that can make a difference. Um, I, I, I was having a walk the other day in, in our village and there was a man sitting on, uh, sort of crumpled up on a, uh, on a bench and he, ha he was uh, looking over his uh, walking stick and holding on to as he was sitting there and he looked terrible and I just went up to him and I said, are you all right? Is there anything I can do? Do you need some transport back home or something? Oh, no, he said, I, I, I'm all right. I just need to sit down for a few minutes. Now, that's nothing. I, I didn't tell him the gospel and he's not a Christian as a result. I'm, what I'm saying is if we look around us at things that are happening around us, it's amazing the things that we can do that can make a difference to people. I've had conversations. Um, I, I do a lot of traveling, so I know every uh, 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 service station in the whole of Great Britain. I know the ones to avoid. But I always, <laughs> I always look for the person who cleans the loos, and I go and thank them for what they've done, because it's a horrible job, isn't it? And most of them can't speak much English or any, but I go and talk to them and I thank them for what they're doing and I ask them why they're there and wh where they come from and just have a conversation to make them realize they are not invisible. I can't say that any of them have become Christians, but um, we have to do what we can in the way we ca can. So where do you spend most of your time? At, the, at work, at the school gate, in the office, in the hospital, supermarket? Friendship groups, you know, like the choir I mentioned earlier, and the gym, um, crafting, sports, cooking, entertaining. We've heard many illustrations already about those. Um, I used to go to a gym. I, I, I don't anymore. Um, but I uh, uh, was swimming as well. And I swim like this. I don't know. Does anybody else swim like this? I don't do all of that stuff. And so <laughs> I'm aware of other people swimming alongside me. And you know, in, in those sort of places, you get to know people in the changing rooms and so on, and you chat to them. And it's very easy, isn't it, to say to somebody, hi, how are you? And what's their answer? Fine. But I learned to say, how are you today? You look as if you're a bit stressed. Is everything all right? How? And you know, it's amazing. If you bother to say it that way, how people will come out with their problems. And I used to do that regularly and the number of people that I prayed with who weren't Christians over the situation they were going through just with towels wrapped around us in the changing room at the end of our swim. They knew that they were happy for me to pray with them and then the next time they saw, guess what happened, you know, and, and the conversation would go on. Opportunities for that. Um, I, I just want to ask you how many Christian friends you have, but it's all in the book, in the, in the uh, thing that we've got there. And I, I just was reminded of um, Ruth Adams' story. She was, uh, Ruth Adams used to run uh, Activate, and uh, <laughs> she, she was um, at, speaking at an event like this, and somebody came up to her afterwards and said, because we were asking about how many non-Christians people knew. And this woman came up and said, I don't have time to make friends with non-Christians. I'm far too busy doing the Lord's work. 
How do you answer that? Go on, give me an answer for that. But, <laughs> but just, do you get the drift? We get stuck in our own little way of doing things and we don't like it if anybody moves us out. Another thing that she did, which was quite shameful really, because she moved from the place she lived to, to go and live in Sheffield. And she and her husband decided to very quietly go into all the different churches in the area to feel where God wanted them to be and how they would feel, you know, and, and whether it was the right church. And they went to six churches and not one person spoke to them at any of those six churches. That's another thing we have to think about, isn't it? And um, those of you who've been involved with Activate over the years um, know that we wrote a book some years ago which has been updated. It's called Unlocking the Door. And some of you have already bought them, but they are available for £3 if you're interested later. But it has all sorts of different ideas of how we can make friends, how we can invite people to different things that don't cost a lot of money necessarily, but just ways of ideas, seeing opportunities to meet other people and to get to know them. One of the best opportunities I had quite some years ago now was um, when I was a, a mum, before I was a granny, I, I ran a thing called Pop-In at our church and it, it was very much an outreach. It was like a mother and toddlers event but it was um, more than that because we were able to have people who ran the creches for naught to five years old preschool um, and the mothers were able to have two hours of peace and joy without their children, uh, but we also gave them a talk. Um, and it was always a very practical talk on being a mum, a building-up talk on being a mum. And at, at one point, I, I ran it for about seven years, and this woman uh, who, uh, from our church, who is a midwife, came to me and said, Fiona, do you think you could run a similar pop-in at the village, um, she get named a village uh, only f about four miles away from us. And she said, there are so many dysfunctional families there, single parents and, and all so on. And I feel that, um, she said, they're really struggling and it would be so good if we could do something like pop in over there. So I said, yes, fine. I'll do it for a, a couple of terms just to get everybody started and you get enough people to come and help and then I'll back off. Well, I didn't back off, of course. And um, for two years, we just built that group of women up. And we had um, the team would go and spring clean a house for one of the mothers who was struggling. We'd find furniture for mothers who hadn't got beds or things like that. All sorts of just very, very basic things. Long story short, because of that, it just grew like Topsy. It's now a church of its own, a, a church plant from our church. Very thriving, they've got their own pastor and so on. It's, it's, that just happened through that. That was God's plan and purpose. I'm not taking any credit for it. It was just an opportunity that came up that that midwife saw and she made an effort to see that we could actually love those people and do something that made a difference. I've just got a couple of contrasting uh, ideas, the stories of friendship. I had one friend who was, um, she and I were mums of, of children of three years old and they went to the little nursery three days a week together and we got to know each other and, you know, as you do, you gradually swap children and do sleepovers and all of those things and the, the boys were really friends right through. 
Um, and I, I don't know why, but I mentioned something about the church. She said, don't talk to me about church. She said, I hate the Baptist church. She said, I don't want to hear anything about it. It's, you know, it's all a load of rubbish, you see. All right, fine. I won't talk about it at all. And I remained friendly with her for nine years. And I prayed for her every day for nine years. Just shows that I wasn't very good at my job, was I? Um, and one day, after nine years, she rang me up and said, do you have to be desperate to become a Christian? <laughs> and I said, no. She said, right, well, I'd like to be. And she became a Christian. <laughs> but it took me nine years of praying for her and not saying a word. I had to button my lips so that she didn't feel that I was threatening her. And then there was another one who... Um, it was only about two weeks after I'd become a Christian, and I was absolutely full of it, and I was so excited, and my life had changed so dramatically when it happened, and so on. And this lovely lady, again, we were mums at the school gate, and she'd come to have lunch with me. And as she was um, driving off, she said, I'm really worried about such and such a thing. And I said, oh, really? I said, I don't worry anymore. She went, What? because she knew I was the most worried person on the planet. I worried about absolutely everything. She said, what on earth do you mean? I said, well, I found Jesus two weeks ago, and it's completely changed my life. I said, I can't believe it, but I just know that I'm okay. And she said, I must hear about it. Can I come back tomorrow? She gave her life to the Lord the next day. We never know, do we? But you know, that woman has gone through so much. Her, her daughter was murdered. And um, she, because she was a Christian, she has come, she and her husband have come through it in the most amazing way, but not with any sort of ease whatsoever. But she's often said to me, if I hadn't known the Lord, I could not have dealt with it the way I have. So those are just little contrasting opportunities. Um, there's a lovely man called Lloyd Ogilvy who wrote a book called um, Turn Your Struggles into Stepping Stones. And it was a, it's a daily Bible reading and thought. And this is what he says. I heard a man explain the influence of a television producer who is a member of our congregation. I watched him for months. It was not so much what he said. We hear a lot of people in our industry talking about some new fascination over a philosophy or religious idea. Neither was it the way he reacted in a crisis, although he's consistently strong and calm. But that could be easily explained by his healthy childhood or successes in the industry. No, it was more than that. It's the way I feel when I'm with him. Long before I asked him what he believed, he made me feel of value, like I was the only person alive when he talked to me. He's so free. But I sensed he had not always been like that. I just had to find out what made him tick. Finally, late one evening after a... a at an after-production party, I got him in a corner and said, hey, friend, you're something else. How did you find what you've got? Then he told me about Christ in the most unreligious, non-pious way I've ever heard. I didn't feel the way I usually do when people talk about Christ. We've talked a lot since then. I've made a start. I can now say I'm a Christian. Church people usually turn me off, but this guy was irresistible. And I love that again just being real with people. Very, very important. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus said that he sends his disciples out 
But before he sends his disciples out, he teaches them. And he says, wherever you enter a home, give it your blessing. When you enter a town, stay in one place, eating, drinking, whatever they provide for you. Heal the sick, say the kingdom of God is near you. And in his book, Prayer Evangelism, Ed Silvoso points out that Luke 10 is a four-step strategy for evangelism. Well, you've already done the three-step one, haven't you? And this one says, speak peace to them. In other words, be nice to them. Spend time with them. Meet their needs. Be with them. And then share the kingdom of God with them. In our evangelistic zeal, he says, we've often dived straight in at number four without first building relationships and then wondered why people avoid us. We need to start at number one and speak peace to people because so often as Christians, we're more inclined to declare war on unchurched people, see them as outsiders and feel we've got to keep ourselves separate from them. His book challenges us to attempt to follow these four steps with our immediate neighbors, but he's honest enough to admit that he found it difficult himself. And this is what he says. I became aware of my own belligerence towards the lost the first time I tried to implement the Luke 10 strategy in our neighborhood. Instead of claiming the promises of God to deal with the problems I saw in my neighbor's lives, I told God about everything that was wrong with these people. I talked to him in disgust about the unmarried mother and how she had to change because it was such a bad example to my daughters. I demanded that he did something about the couple who kept us awake at night with their arguing and fighting. I complained about the depressive neighbor whose garden was a disgrace and brought the property values down in our area. And of course, I didn't forget about the teenager on drugs. I made it perfectly clear to the Lord what a detriment this young man was to our neighborhood. All of a sudden, I sense God saying, Ed, I'm so glad you've not witnessed to any of these yet. Surprised, I asked. Lord, why is that? His reply was very sobering. Because I don't want your neighbors to know that you and I are related. (laughs) I hurt when they hurt. I reach out to them. I constantly extend grace to them. I am the God who causes the sun to rise over the righteous and unrighteous alike. I love them. But you don't. You resent them. Unless you love them, I cannot trust you with their lives. Well, Jazz has already referred to that, hasn't she? So we have to speak peace to people. We have to spend time with them and meet their needs. And each one rolls on to the next. Lloyd Ogilvy, the man I've just quoted, said, I just make as many deep friendships as I can. Then when trouble arises in their lives, I'm the one they will turn to. And that's the thing. We need to be good listeners, not just good talkers. Jesus spoke about things that people were interested in. He spoke to fishermen about fishing, rich people about money, and farmers about farming. How aware are we of people and what they're doing when we talk to them, and how appropriate are we? You know, Jesus talked to um, the, the woman at the well. He shouldn't have talked to a woman, and he shouldn't have talked to a Samaritan. But he went on talking about water. It was something she understood, but he ended up talking to her about living water. And she went back and told all her friends. Amazing. But it was only just talking about water. The Dutch theologian Henri Nouwen wrote, 
We're not called to save the world, solve all the problems, and help all people. But each of us has our own unique call in our families, in our work, in our world. We have to keep asking God to help us see clearly what our calling is and to give us strength to live out that call with trust. Then we will discover that our faithfulness to a small task is the most healing response to the illnesses of our time. Our listening ear. Now, we've talked about loads of different things and different opportunities. And as I said in that book, there are all these different ways of reaching people. Another lovely lady called Jan Harney, who, um, was a, a, who is now a, a vicar, she was also on our team. And uh, she talked about um, having a Macmillan coffee morning at one of um, these sort of events, saying it's easy to have a co the biggest coffee morning in the world, you know, and all you have to do is invite your neighbours. And she was talking about this as a good idea and very simple because everybody trusts Macmillan, etc. And then <laughs> she thought to herself, oh, my goodness, I better put my money where my mouth is. I, I've just moved into this area, she said, and I, in my little close, I don't know any of the people in the close at all. So she knocked on each door, and she said, I, I live in number so-and-so, but I want to have a Macmillan coffee morning. Would you like to, are you willing to come? You know? She said, everybody in the whole, uh, the little close came. And it was really successful, because nobody knew anybody else. They were all unknown to each other. And she said, one of them said as they were leaving, that was really lovely. What are you going to do next? <laughs> So she found out all sorts of things, like there were some single people, there were some older people who were on their own. She organized them for them to go to um, garden centers together. She organized them to go to theaters together. And she found out that somebody had an arga cooker. So she asked if we could, they could go to her house to learn about cooking with an arga, and so on, little things. She then was, um, after a while, she was ordained and by that time, she knew them all well enough to invite them to her ordination. And they all came. Long story short, three of them became Christians as a result. It's just the little things that can grow, isn't it? Um, I don't want to go on too long, but it's, uh, there's one other story. Have I got time to tell this little story? Um, again, it was a, an Activate member who decided that there was a lot of division in her, her daughter's class because they were just about to do A-levels and they were all fighting with each other and com competing with each other and all the rest of it. There was a lot of tension. So she decided to invite them all to a restaurant um, when the, uh, the A-levels were over. And uh, so they all went with their mothers just to show their daughters that they loved them. That was the motivation. And this is what... Said. She said, I have to tell you about the fantastic night we've had. Booked at a local restaurant and 27 mothers and daughters from my eldest daughter's class came. We shared a meal and then went upstairs to a quiet room to bless our daughters. I was all ready to start the ball rolling when up jumped another mum and began to read a poem which was full of the love of God over her daughter. Half the girls burst into tears. Then I tell the girls that I love God and my Bible and want to bless my daughter just like the men do in the Bible. More tears. Another 
mum, who is currently having chemotherapy for cancer, then got up and said what a gift from God her daughter was. A Jew, um, another mother says that Jesus has made all the difference to her family. Then a Jewish mother blesses her daughter. It was all beyond my wildest dreams. If I had scripted it, no one would have believed it. All the Muslims are sitting there with tears streaming down their faces and their mouths open. At the end, one of the Muslim girls stood up and said, I don't know about the rest of you, but I've been trembling all over since we came upstairs. I think this has been a wonderful evening. It was the manifest presence of God in an Italian restaurant in Orpington. No wonder he's got no time to visit our churches. <laughs> and I want to finish. I don't know if any of you read this book called Nice Girls Don't Change the World um, by Lynn Hybels. It's a lovely story about this young girl who tried to be a nice person. She was brought up to be a nice person and do all the right things and please everybody all the time. She then married a a pastor of a very successful church and she tried to be the perfect pastor's wife and all the rest of it until one day she fell apart because all she was doing was to try to please everybody and say yes to everything that everybody wanted of her and she obviously just could not cope with it and she didn't want to even believe anymore and she didn't want to go to church anymore she more or less had a breakdown gave up and for a long time she didn't do anything she just rested because she was so weak. And then she said, she, after a long time, uh, when her body began to recu re recuperate and her soul came back to life, I decided to open my heart just a crack to this mysterious presence, knowing that if I ever heard one syllable of the demanding rhetoric of my childhood God, I could immediately slam the door of my heart shut and I was fully prepared to do that. But I decided to take a little risk. Into the void, I whispered two simple words. It's me. What I heard or sensed in response was a whisper as soft as my own. I love you, the whisperer said, right here, right now. I love you so much that I want you to rest. I want you to sit and receive the refreshment of my creation. I want you to listen to music. I want you to dance in the quietness of your bedroom. I want you to be like a child, secure and free in the presence of an adoring parent. I want you to know that all those years when you were working so hard to please me, I was trying to tell you to slow down. I saw you killing yourself from the inside out and I tried to stop you. But the many false voices in your head drowned out the single true voice in your heart. I wasn't the one cracking the whip, the one telling you to work harder, the one who made you feel guilty when you relaxed. I was the one who saw you, who knew you, who believed in you, who longed to restore your energy. I was the one trying to fluff up the pillow, tuck the blanket around your shoulders and tell you it was time to rest. I was the one trying to love you. I've described this brief encounter with that loving presence many times, and yet every time I weep again. And then at the end, she says something that I'm going to finish with. At the, at the beginning of this book, I said that the opposite of a nice girl is a good woman. But I, what I really wanted to say, and what I'm going to say to you now, 
is the opposite of a nice girl is not just a good woman, but a downright dangerous woman. A woman who shows up with everything she is and joins the battle against whatever opposes the redeeming work of God in our lives and in the world. A dangerous woman delves deeply into the truth of who she is, grounds herself daily in the healing and empowering love of God, and radically engages with the needs of the world. And then she prays, May we be dangerous women, Lord. May we be women who acknowledge our power to change and grow and be radically alive for God. May we be healers of wounds and writers of wrongs. May we weep with those who weep and speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. May we cherish children, embrace the elderly, and empower the poor. May we pray deeply and teach wisely. May we be strong and gentle leaders. May we sing songs of joy and talk down fear. May we never hesitate to let passion push us, conviction compel us, and righteous anger energize us. May we strike fear into all that is unjust and evil in the world. May we dismantle abusive systems and silence lies with truth. May we shine like stars in a darkened generation. May we overflow with goodness in the name of God and by the power of Jesus. And in that name and by that power, may we change the world. Dear God, please make us dangerous women. Amen. Thank you.